0: Welcome to the podcast Legal Pawns, spotlighting how the American justice system uses its citizens for a game of greed, political gain, and control. We are here to educate, empower, and facilitate change through truth and facts. Okay, so today we are going to be talking to somebody who is working in the prison reform system in Florida and we are going to be discussing what the prison system looks like in Florida, um, as well as some of the changes that we would like to be made here in Florida. Um, And I will go ahead and introduce you to this person or have her introduce herself.
1: Hi, my name is Vanessa. Um, I am a criminal justice reform advocate and my husband is currently incarcerated in the Florida system. And I became an advocate just because I saw the struggles that I went through with my husband. And it's, it's just, it's so compounded and I just wanted to help be the voice. I especially became more vocal uh, when the whole COVID crisis started, and especially in the prisons.
0: Perfect. And as we were talking before we started recording, we were talking about a lot of times the perception is that people like you and I, we are against incarceration. I just want to make it clear we're not Mm -hmm. against incarceration if the person has actually committed a crime. We do agree that there should be some incarceration. Definitely. I think that though, as we were speaking off air, a lot of times animals in the shelters are treated better than humans in prison are treated. Um, there's a misconception in the American yes. public that once somebody's incarcerated, that it is like a spa, so to speak. Um, they get free medical they get unbelievable access to education they get unbelievable access to all kinds of uh ref- you know different types of programs out there that they're getting these amazing meals that it's um i've heard it even called camp cupcake and i'm sure there if may only. be one or <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm sure there may be one or two prisons out there like that but the majority from what i'm hearing is not like that would you like to elaborate a little bit?
1: Yeah, definitely not here in Florida. Uh, we have 67 facilities in the state, throughout the state. The majority of them uh, do not have air conditioning. And when the, uh, during the summer when the heat temperature goes up to 97 and 100 and you're in a metal type building, it, it soars. Um, and then of course, during the winter months, there's no uh, there's no heat. The meals are, I mean, when the COVID started, you better have liked bologna and uh, sandwiches and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because that's all they got uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The conditions inside are, are horrendous here in Florida. There's no, uh, the programs that they are have are very sparse. They're not, and even to get into the program, it's, you know, you have to jump to a lot of hoops. There is, the, I mean, one facility that my husband was at, they, the medical dorm um, had to be, they had to uh, transfer the guys from there because the unit, the building that the medical unit was housed had mold. Because a lot of these buildings are 20 to 25 years old, if not older. It's, you know, property that the state over, you know, took over and stuff. And, you know, when I go to visit the caked on dust on the vents, the peeling paint. Um, And, you know, all that stuff and who knows how many of these have lead in the paint, you know, the dust, you know, my husband suffers from asthma. So anytime he's in a new dorm or anything like that, he always his allergies are always acting up um, because of the fact that, you know, there's dust. Um, And the ones that don't have air conditioning, they have two big fans on either side. um, And it's basically blowing hot air. There's ants, there's roaches. They've had, um, you know, I mean, there's been times that he'll go into his locker and, you know, there'll be little pieces of papers missing because some critter of sorts got into his um, property. He had, um, you know, commissary that he had b- bought and it got infiltrated with ants. Um, so, the, you know, waste of the money there. So it, it's bad. And it's, um, as advocates, we always encourage our lawmakers to go visit the facility so they can see it firsthand and a lot of them have a lot of them haven't um but it, it's just until you see it it's just it's just bad it, and it, it's it shouldn't be that difficult to try to I mean you there's a bunch of people there the guys can and the girls for the female incarcerated um give them some paint let them do the work you know what I'm saying yes. it's not like I mean they're already spending idle time there you know, I always said that, you know, like Habitat for Humanity, you know, they say that, you know, the individuals, they give it to them, they, they take more pride in it. I mean, why not create a program like that? You know, Give them the tools to be able to, re- you know, repair their own facility. They're in there 24-7, um, but it's just the mold, the water. I think recently there was, um, in the Panhandle, one of our Santa Rosa locations, Um, there was a backflow issue and you had guys that were in the dorms and the back of the sewer backed up into the dorms. And you can only imagine being locked in your cell and having to, you know, there was no running water and, you know, sewer, sewage basically coming up through the pipes. That's just horrendous. And it took, I don't even know, to be honest, I don't even know at this point if it's been repaired or fixed. I hope so. But it's atrocious and horrendous, the, the day-to-day stuff that they go to, I mean, they've been served moldy food, and it's just, it's a, you know, it's heartbreaking, you know, they're already going through a hard time, you know, and then you call, and, you know, he's sweating, and they're not giving enough bottled water, and there's just no accountability, and it's, it's hard, because these facilities are old, and anybody knows that any building uh, needs maintenance, and it doesn't seem like a lot of these facilities have been maintained, and not to mention that with COVID, you know, I'm always asking my lawmakers to see if there's some way that they can be cleaned properly. I know that when I saw the news, there was other facilities outside of the state of Florida that they were in hazmat, they did the whole pressure washing, the intense cleaning. Not to say that that's never been done before COVID, but I think it should be something that should be addressed definitely now with the whole COVID. Um, we currently have, I believe the last time I looked at the dashboards, we had 189 individuals that have passed away within our prisons, uh, due to COVID. And we've had, uh, facilities that didn't have any sort of outbreaks, um, up until now. And now they're, 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 all facilities have been touched basically with COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just sad to see, you know, and, you know, they call and they call their family members and they're stressed out and it just, it's hard. It's heartbreaking.
0: Um, how many prisons do you know in Florida are privatized versus uh, federally or state funded? There are seven uh, private prisons within Florida. The
1: majority are by geo group. And I believe there's, uh, the, I think there's two or three by other entities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know them off the top of my head, but um, but the majority are by the geo groups and their contract with all the private facilities um, part of their contract is that they are to supposed to keep 90% of capacity. Um, that mm-hmm. is written in their contract. So
0: um, explain for the people out there that don't understand what the 90% capacity means.
1: Um, it basically means that they are per their contract, they have to maintain ninety percent of incarcerated individuals at their facilities. So that just, you know, it's when it comes down to it, prisons is 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 a business of sorts. Um, you know, and the private prisons make, you know, a, you know, it costs the state, I think thirty four thousand a year, roughly. Don't quote me exactly on that, but it's roughly in that ballpark a year to house an incarcerated individual um, within Florida, and the private prisons require that 90% of their number. So let's say if they are at 100, if their capacity is 100 incarcerated individuals, they have to be as close to that 100 as they can. Otherwise, I guess they get penalized or something. But um, but that is written in their contract, and to me, that's astonishing. That you know. When we're trying with mass incarceration, I think we, uh, Florida is like one of the top three. And mind you, we're not as big as many other states, but we're one of the top three as far as prison population. I think last last number I saw was 96,000 uh, incarcerated individuals. And we're talking about individuals who are there for a felony murder rule, which means that individual didn't necessarily um, have to kill somebody it just basically meant that they might have been in the car where their friend was inside killing somebody and because they were in the car uh, they get charged with a felony murder rule and they're serving life sentences
0: you um, know i want to have a lot i want to interject real quick on that one so that people really get a clear picture if you pull into a 7-eleven and my friend decides to go in and rob that 7-eleven even if I have no knowledge that my friend is going in there to rob that 7-Eleven and for whatever reason, my friend robs 7-Eleven and shoots the clerk and kills them, I can go to prison for that, even though I did not have any knowledge that that crime was going to happen or that it did happen. Let's say that I had, you know, earphones on for whatever reason, but let's just pretend I had earphones on. I didn't hear of the gunshot. My friend gets in the car, they're perfectly calm. There's no sign of struggle. We drive away, we get pulled over. I can go to prison for that. Um, One of the things that has changed in the United States is that it used to be you had to prove a person had the intent to commit a crime. Now in the United States, we do not have to have an intention or prove an intention. Um, They can convict you basically without that.
1: Yeah. Sure. And there's seven other states that have repealed that law, the felony murder rule.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: unfortunately, Florida has not been one. Um, there's even cases that, you know, if two individuals go to a home and the homeowner shoots and kills one of the individuals, the other person that was with them can also be charged with a felony murder rule um, when neither one of them were the ones that um, killed anybody. A lot of the uh, incarcerated, it's either because of mandatory minimums, meaning that if you're charged with specific crime, you have to serve at least 5, 10, 15, 20 years. That's part of the statute of whatever you're charged with. Um, There's the, you know, the prison, um, the PRR, prison re-release mandate that also carries a mandatory minimums. And and then there's a lot of people that are in, um, you know, for drug offenses that have given you know, lengthy sentences. And of course, sadly, it's, it's up to, you know, the prosecutor you know, decides what they charge, but it's also in Florida, you can get, you can be charged with the same crime in three different counties in Florida and your sentence can be completely different. Um, so there's a huge disparity as far as the, the system within Florida, it's not consistent. Um, and the same thing you know with the wardens at the facilities you know what one will allow at one facility is not what one allows at another facility it's just allows for too many variances between the counties and between the facilities that it's not consistent and, and that's unfair and unfortunately you know you know race always race and um, finances always become an issue um, you know there's individuals that could be out on bond but they can't afford it, um, and I mean, there's some counties like Hillsborough County. They have um, an intervention release uh, uh, a task force that actually looks at previous crimes and and looks at you know did we do the right thing? You know, integrity uh, unit mm-hmm. that they have, um, and uh, I wish all the counties had something like that. But it it's 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 left up to each individual county as far as the sentencing, the prosecutors are the ones that charge. I mean, there's a lot of times that the prosecutor decides, and even if the judge wanted to lessen the sentence, they couldn't, their hands are tied. So in this legislative session, I mean, we're hoping to to address um, one of the things is gain time. Um, currently in Florida, when somebody is sentenced, they have to at least serve 85% of their um, their sentence. We're trying to get that down to 65%, um, not only for to You know, alleviate the mass incarceration within our system, but to save, you know, the state money. You know, there's millions, eight hundred and something million dollars um, that can be saved. Um, And going into the session, you know, Florida already is facing a vast budget deficit deficit because of the COVID-19 and the restrictions. We know where Florida, our number one uh, thing is Disney World and and tourism and Nobody's coming to Florida, at least not in the the way that they used to, and um, you know our budget for Florida has had a huge impact because of that. So I know a lot of the lawmakers are looking to save money and cut costs, but you know uh, they can. I mean that would be a simple thing, and we're not talking about you know a lot of people say releasing. We're not talking about releasing those charged with sexual offenses or anything like that. I mean, it would be, you know, those that, you know, have had good behavior, those that have proven themselves to to want to do the right thing. And then of course, there's a, some law uh, thing about changing um, the different sentencing programs that we have, the you know, the mandatory minimums and mm-hmm. the um, PPR, um, but also the conditions inside. I mean, as a family member, um, the cost of incarceration for myself, you know, with the phone calls, it's $2 and like 65 cents for 15 minutes. There's the cost of sending an email. There's the cost of a video visit. And then, of course, the commissary. The commissary is, is, <laughs> you know, you go to the, if you, the price, you look at the price of the dollar store at something mm-hmm. and just up it like 20%. Or even 50% in some cases. Um, And that's hard because, you know, you know, in my husband's case, he has stomach issues and there's a lot of, you know, guys that have stomach issues because he right now is in for a violation of probation. But when, during his first incarceration, um, he contracted a bacterial infection that basically got rid of all the good bacteria in his stomach. And the reason that he caught that was because he, there was, you know, the trays, it wasn't clean property between meals you know, um, and he lost a lot of weight. And even last year at this time, he lost about 20, 30 pounds in a rapid succession. And he finally was diagnosed with IBS. So he can't eat everything that everybody else eats. Um, sometimes he has to, because I just don't have the money to put on his account. And, and that gets stressed because he's stressed because, you know, he doesn't feel good. You know, everything that he's eating is going through him he's vomiting, um, diarrhea, and I can't put money on because, you know, I have bills to pay and, and things on the outside, but that makes it stressful. And of course, IBS is triggered by stress. I, you know, ramen noodles shouldn't have to cost more than $2. I mean, you get a whole package out here for like a dollar for six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the upcharge that they have between that, between hygiene, you know, it's like the generic hygiene I mean, even if they allowed us to, you know, order items through Walmart and then have it shipped, you know, I don't see why that would be, you know, such a difficult thing. We wouldn't have access to it. It's, it's shipped directly to them. They would, you know, make a list of things that we can and cannot ship, but it's just, everything is made so difficult. You know, I've, he's been incarcerated this time since, um, about 2017, and I literally have sent like over a thousand emails for one thing or another.
0: The problem Nothing is, is that I everybody. do not think that the the uh, the public really understands that if you go to jail or prison and you have a special dietary need, even if it is a severe life threatening allergy, most prisons will not accommodate that. They refuse yeah. to accommodate it. In addition, the amount of food that they are given, especially a grown man um, or woman, is about a quarter of what your intake is on the outside, if, if even that generous in a lot of prisons. I have heard of food coming in, like potatoes that are not washed so that by the time the inmate gets them, they're eating, there's rocks and dirt in their potatoes, which are a disease. The food, um, anything that's sometimes there's, if they are given any type of protein, like a meat, which is very rare, if it's supposed to have been cooked, sometimes it's not cooked as well as it should be. Again, exposing them to disease. And the commissary is very important in a lot of, um, for them because it does make up what they're not getting, the food intake that right. they're not getting. And
1: not to mention that uh, one of the other big issues that we have here in Florida is the amount of time that they're given um, you know, in some cases, maybe five, three minutes to eat their food. So I mean that in itself affects your digestive system, trying to gobble down something so quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, And a lot of the food is starchy filler food that doesn't have a lot of nutritional value to it. Also, right. some, I don't know about your prisons in Florida, but I know that in some prisons um, around the country, that females have to buy um, their own tampons, you know, personal hygiene product, they are given maxi pads, but they're the... Um, I call them the 1960s maxi pads. You know that they're thicker than a diaper, which is uncomfortable right, yeah. and not very good for the female prisoner um, as far as hygiene goes. We've had legislation last last
1: session to address that.
0: But isn't it sad that not here that we, we are? We should have had to have legislation, but yeah, we're still discussing. It's a luxury for a person to have what they need to care for themselves for a function that is happening to them you know it's it's not a luxury it's a necessity and we're still having this discussion you know the soaps that they have to buy the shampoos that they have to buy um, they are given a certain amount it's never enough you know it's even if they're frugal it's never enough and the quality of it is worse than what you can find at discount stores it's what they give, generally, is, from my understanding, full of lye and other chemicals. So, mm-hmm. it's it's inhumane.
1: Yeah, I mean, with, you know, you know, the toilet pa- paper shortage that everybody experienced, it was ten times more. So, in the facilities, you know, it's just it's just so sad what they go through on a day to day basis. You know, trying to to get the just the basic needs: toothbrush, toothpaste towels or you know uh, you know the uniforms that they have to wear um they're raggedy they're not you know I know in other states they get like a whole fresh new set here they like you know you don't know how many times that my husband I've gone to visit in his shirt he has like a different name because they he just got a hand me down from who knows what you know who and who knows how many other people had it before he got it it shouldn't be like that. You know, I understand that, you know, people have committed crimes um, and I understand that they have to do their time, but the way that they have to do their time is just appalling, you know, for United States, you know, one of the global leaders within the country within the world and we treat our incarcerated so badly. It, it's just disgusting to me. Um, I think Nelson, Nelson Mandela had said, you know, you can, Way a society by how they treat their incarcerated and we're bad, we're like worse than bad. Um, and it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you talk about prison and incarceration, a lot of people who it hasn't directly affected, you know, kind of brush it off and, and don't pay attention to it. Um, it's not until they have somebody incarcerated that they actually see it. Of course, this year with everything that's gone on, um, with the protests, with all mm-hmm. the um, the killings and stuff like that, criminal justice reform has become something more of a a viable topic. And I'm just hoping that that helps um, that all those lives that were lost, you know, somehow helps us to be able to continue the conversation and continue to to talk to our lawmakers, and hopefully it it tugs at their heartstrings and and then they'll realize that we need change. We can't sustain the system the way that it is, buckling already. And the issues that were already there were just magnified with COVID-19. My husband's been in quarantine like five different times. um, And to date, he still hasn't been tested. Unfortunately, his facility was one of the first facilities. And I actually was told by an individual that um, they were the guinea pig of how they were gonna deal with COVID-19 within the prisons. And be- because of that, that facility was none of, you know. they were only showing symptoms, that was who got tested. And the only symptom that they were qualifying the incarcerated on was if you had a fever, but a month or two later, then we found out that you could have the no taste, no smell and other types of symptoms that didn't have to be just a fever. And I'm pretty sure, we're pretty sure that he had it at one point um, because he had the no taste no smell the achiness but he was never tested he was just placed in quarantine over and over um, and unfortunately when they were placed in quarantine if they say they have symptoms quarantine here in Florida means confinement mm-hmm. so you're placed in confinement for not doing anything wrong just for being sick so that that's just makes it like I said 10 times worse
0: um going back to you were talking about lawmakers making visits to the prison system. I've spoken to other individuals um, who have said that when a visitor, when lawmakers do visit the prisons um, that the prison gets a heads up ahead of time, that they suddenly go under mass cleaning mass uh, repairs. The prisoners are then dressed in the best that they you know that they find for them. Um, if they are, showing up for a meal to walk through during mealtime suddenly the prisoners are getting the best meals that they've ever had or a best meal that they've ever had and that the lawmakers are only allowed to speak to certain prisoners who have been let's say chosen is that the best way to put it chosen uh, to be the best representative of the prison Um, have you heard or anything like this
1: yeah I mean uh, some lawmakers know that they need to go unannounced. We've had it we have a few representatives that 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 know that and have done that um but you know ultimately, yes, they try to put the best foot forward um and try to make everything seem aesthetic and you know like shiny brand new penny and nothing is wrong here, but it's just a facade and there are. Like I said, legislators that know that they need to ask certain questions, ask to go, you know, outside of what they're being guided to. As a lawmaker in Florida, they are allowed to go at any point, any time. They don't have to previous go. They can just show up. Um, Hopefully a lot of them will take advantage of that when as soon as it opens. There was a lot of going, a lot of visits prior to COVID. Um, But, you know, it's you know, it's kind of like when you're at your house and uh, you know, your mom comes over to visit, you know, you kind of hide everything, you know, underneath the couch or underneath the bed or in the closet and you make sure she doesn't open the closet or look under the bed um, and the, and that's not right. Um, but it's, it's, it's up to the lawmakers to ask those hard questions and to, you know, veer off the guided tour that they're given. Um, and I've spoken to at least 20 or so Uh, lawmakers uh, over the summer. We did a lot of town halls um, for the Florida campaign of criminal justice reform. And um, we encouraged them to visit um, and and to ask for other people and and whatnot. And there's been uh, ways that we've been able to have incarcerated individuals speak to the legislators and stuff to kind of voice their opinions. Unfortunately, there's a lot. there are fearful that if they speak up, there will be retaliation. And in some instances, there has been. Um, but, uh, you know, in order for things to get done, you know, you have to speak up.
0: Um, and I think, I think right now important. it's the inmates, it's the family members that have to do the who have to speak up. Um, because the prisons do not accurately report or publicly report what truly is going on inside the prisons
1: right well taking case what happened at lake you know lake uh, correctional um, there was an individual that was beaten um, and the only way that that got out was because there was an incarcerated individual who had an illegal cell phone um, but Mm -hmm. he recorded it and it was able to get it out of the prisons, and it was, you know, sent to media all over. Um, and, and that, you know, they arrested um, that uh, correction officer. I think a few of them, but um, they arrested that correction officer that did that. Um, had that video, had that incarcerated individual not been able to record it, and people could see that it was a correction officer beating an incarcerated individual. I don't think that there would have been an arrest, um, and again, that was them using an illegal cell phone, um, and that's the thing. Sometimes, you know, we, you know, we're on recorded lines when we speak to them. Um, there's JPay, which is what uses for emails and stuff like that, and a lot of that stuff is censored. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories where people have tried to send stuff in reference to COVID or anything like that, and you know, it doesn't. It gets denied. Um, because uh-huh. they don't want that information in there, um, so it's 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 difficult. The communication sometimes can be difficult, um, but it, it's going to take all of us, all of you know, the families that have you know incarcerated individuals, the incarcerated individuals um, to speak up. I know that for an instance, um, at the one of the facilities that my husband was at, um, they were they were under quarantine. They were supposed to be able to go outside and to commissary and one of the lieutenants or guards said no. Um and they all refused to go eat. Um and because they all refused to go eat, I you know, we're talking about 70 guys in a dorm, mm-hmm. because they all refused to eat, they got their commissary and they got their recreation hour. You know, not that I'm you know trying to encourage but it just shows you know we are a big number. If we speak and we're just asking for good treatment we're just asking for fair treatment um, we're not trying to break any barriers or anything like that we are just trying to be treated as humans for ourselves and for our loved ones
0: the big like you said the um, decency just asking for decency but more importantly if these individuals um, if you take somebody who's already angry and who's already frustrated you put them in the prison system and they are receiving this type of treatment, it's only increasing that frustration. It's only increasing that level of anger so that when they get out, their chances of committing another crime because of the um, anger and the frustration increases. And so if we treat them decent, we show them decency. Um, We give them the programs that, everybody thinks that they're getting that they're really not oh it it's better for society as a whole
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of people forget that the large majority of those incarcerated are coming home there are going to be the person standing at, next to you at a Seven Eleven, at a gas pump in Publix. um and the thing is is that if you look at pit bulls mm-hmm. everybody has this notorious things with pit bulls and they're so dangerous and you train the pit bull and give it loving care and stuff like that, pit bulls can be the sweetest animal ever. And that's the same thing with incarcerated individuals. If you treat them with respect, you know, are decent to them, then when they come home, they won't have the animosity towards anybody. You know, same thing with kids. I mean, you teach kids, you know, to be mean and to, 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 to hate, then that's what they grow up to being. But if you are, good to them and respectful and, you know, give them a decent meal, give them decent uh, medical care and give them, you know, decent commissary and decent uniforms, then, you know, they'll take pride in it and, you know, allow them to help, you know, help themselves. I mean, they are, like I said, majority of them are going to come back into society and that's going to be the person driving next to you in the car. Um, you don't want that person to be angry at society or angry at you because um, because of the way that they were treated. Um, that just, that jeopardizes more public safety than, than anything else.
0: I, I, you know, and you made a valid point. It is going to be that person standing next to you or your mother, your father, your cousin, your brother. Uh, we as a whole in this nation in, incarcerate more people than any other country in the world. And we're third largest in size, so that speaks a lot about what we do here. Yeah. Um, and we definitely do want to give them every chance we can. We're going to wrap up. And so the question I have is, if somebody wants to take action, somebody wants to help with moving um, forward change, what are your suggestions?
1: First, they have to speak up. They have to contact their legislators, and the representatives their senators, you know, within the state, email them, you know, ask them for a meeting, ask to speak to them. You know, typically you would go up to Tallahassee, but there's, you know, a lot more restrictions, but just, you know, just speak up, get involved. There's various groups that have different um, ways that you can speak up and you just have to, you know, go on Twitter, social media, follow, follow your representative, ask them, you know, why, what do you think about criminal justice reform? you know, social media, emails, phone calls. Um, It's going to take everybody doing those things to get, to let the lawmakers know that that as a Floridian, a resident of Florida, that that's important to
0: you. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. And remind everybody, our podcast website is legalponds.org. There will be a transcript of this as well as a um, link to Twitter um, for Vanessa. And again, we encourage everybody to reach out and make a difference. This podcast of Legal Ponds is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you need any guidance on your legal issues, please seek out the advice of a licensed lawyer. All thoughts, opinions, advice, and beliefs of our guest and or material presented are not necessarily reflective of the opinions, thoughts, and beliefs of legal Ponds and any affiliates of legal Ponds.